Welcome, and may the Lord be with you. We are excited to have you with us today as we listen to this week's sermon from Blue Ridge Anglican Mission in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Let's listen in. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The Christian life is not easy. I highly doubt that that statement will surprise or shock anyone here this morning. I think I can look around the room and I can look at each of you and I can say with with great confidence that we have all had our fair share of hardships. Some of us have experienced those hardships our whole life. Some have really taken the hardship over the last 12 months, and December the 6th is a day here for Deacon Rick that will be the one-year anniversary of having lost his mother. And not just having to mourn her loss, he's had to deal with the hardship of the financial and legality issues that have to be done. Some of us have dealt with even more hardships over the last several months. There was nothing in following Jesus that made everything become a piece of cake. Nothing about being a disciple that made all of life become a cakewalk and no I guarantee to you I'm not hungry this morning with the different cake references it it just seemed fitting no instead we probably see and experience these challenges in an even more real way I'm not sure where this misconception comes that Christians have no problems or that Christians have everything easy I'm, I'm not sure where that's come from maybe it's the heresy of the prosperity gospel I'm not sure. But even as blessed as we are being in Christ Jesus, even as great the spiritual benefits and the heavenly blessings that we have received, Jesus was clear that it rains on the just just as it does the unjust. The challenge then for us is to pair the right mindset with the right actions in order to persevere. And I believe in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul does just that. He gives us three things to help us push through, or three things that helps us persevere. The first thing that we have to do is we have to realize that this is war. St. Paul has no misconceptions that what we are facing is nothing short of war. He tells us that we are standing against the schemes of the devil. Yes, the devil is real. It's not a figment of imagination. It's it's not something that has been invented. Jesus had an experience with the devil. We are told over and over that the devil is real. You, You see, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not people. Paul says in verse 12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. St. James in chapter 4 of his book says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. St. Peter in 1 Peter Chapter 5 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, so your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy. 
and the scriptures are clear that it, it's not who we typically think it might be. It's, it's not that next door neighbor who doesn't take their trash out. It's not the co-worker who seems intent, intent on getting us in trouble. It's not that bully at school. It's not that person on social media or Facebook or Twitter who just has bad theology that we have to correct. No, we have an enemy. And that enemy is scheming and plotting on how to get to you. Figuring out ways to bring you down. He is looking for ways to get to your weaknesses. He's looking for ways to make you quit. So the first place we have to start with is the right mindset and realize that this is war. When you think and when you know, when you act like you are in the midst of a war, you act different. You do different things. You are a little bit more aware. You you have different actions. So the very first thing we have to do is realize that we are in a war. So what do we do when we're in war, Callan? We stand firm. That's what Paul says here, stand firm. And then he gives us a list of items that we need to make sure that we have in order to go to battle with this enemy. We don't go to war by ourselves. We don't go to war empty-handed. We don't go to war unprepared. St. Paul says, here are the things you need to have. Here's the things you need to do in order to stand firm. The first thing he says you need is your belt of truth. Belts do more than just keep your pants up. Though they do do that. You see, the, the belt was worn by a soldier. And that's the first thing we have to make sure we remember through all this, is that everything he's describing is a Roman soldier. He's telling you what a soldier looks like. Because a soldier is for war. And so that belt of truth was worn by a soldier and, and probably wasn't the most popular piece of of clothing to wear. It wasn't the, 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 the most beautiful. It wasn't the first thing that he got up in the morning and says, oh, I wonder which belt I'm going to choose today. No, that belt was critical because it held everything together. It carried all the essential supplies. Uh, Brother Bruce this morning was telling us about his time in the military and, and his because uh, we asked about veterans since tomorrow's Veterans Day, and he was telling us that you know on the belt for his son who just retired from the military, it had this and it had this and it had the first aid kit and it had the flash, it had all these different things. It, it carried all the necessary supplies. We hold the truth, but more importantly, the truth holds us. Everything we say, everything we do, is to be based. On truth. No lie should be found in us. And so in in Paul's day, people would use their belt to bind up their flowing garments or their uh, gird up their loins. And so so what they would wear is something that looks a little bit like uh, like a Scottish kilt. And so when it came time for battle, they would reach down and grab that flowing garment and they would pull it up and they would tuck it in their belt and you'd see their legs because they didn't want anything to hinder them. And so that belt held up. That belt was that sign that we're ready for war. And it's God's truth that must hold our lives together. 
Next, we are to put on a breastplate of righteousness. Now, this was a piece that would basically cover from around right here at your neck all the way down. And it, it, you've probably seen pictures, if you've ever seen a picture of a Roman soldier, and it's like a metal, and maybe it was hammered in a design or something. But it would basically cover the whole chest of a person. And it was probably made out of bronze, so it was very tough. And it was meant to keep from wounds happening to the vital organs that were in this area. Uh, the lungs, the, 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 all the other different pieces. I'm not a, not a doctor the lungs, and the heart. Actually, sometimes this breastplate was also called a heart protector. So there's this breastplate. So we put on this breastplate, and it's the righteousness of God. And it covers us. And it covers our heart. And it reminds us that we do not stand on our own merits, on our own efforts, but completely completely and wholly on the merits and work of Christ. The one thing that protects us, that keeps us from being wounded, that doesn't leave us vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy is God's righteousness. But I don't think it's just the incorporation of righteousness of God that I believe Paul's talking about here, but also the righteousness being lived out every single day. You hear me say this all the time, but how you live matters. There's an expectation on the way that you live. There's an expectation on the way that you talk. There's an expectation on the way you treat one another. That's righteousness being lived out in our lives. And it is made possible because of what Christ has done and by the indwelling power of the Spirit. I love the King James in Romans when it talks about mortify the flesh. That sounds warly, doesn't it? That sounds very warlike. Mortify the flesh means cut off the flesh. But that's what we're called to do is to cut off the flesh, live in the spirit. Don't live in the flesh, live in the spirit. And that's what we have to do. And there's no greater way to stop the darts of the enemy than by living that righteousness out. I found a quote that I couldn't find who it was attributed to. But I think it really fits this. And it says, When a man is clothed in practical righteousness, he is impregnable. Words are no defense against accusation, but a good life is. How you live matters. Next, we look at the the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, shoes are of vital importance. If your foot is wounded, then you are not able to really move. Uh, I look around here this morning, and believe it or not, we all have shoes on. It's because we weren't going to walk on the the pavement outside in our bare feet. We weren't going to walk on the rocks. We wear shoes to protect us. Now, for the second time in what seems like the last 30 to 45 days, I have a splinter in my toe. And it's deep in there. But unlike last time, I'm not going to allow my wife to dig it out. I'm going to go to the doctor. But why did I get a splinter? Did I get one when I was wearing shoes? Probably not. not. I got a splinter when I walked barefoot on our porch, on our deck. We wear shoes because we need a strong foundation. Without that strong foundation, there's no moving forward. There's no standing your ground. You are weakened. And without a strong foundation, you cannot stand firm. 
It's impossible. And our foundation is quite simply the gospel. It is on which we stand. We stand on nothing else but on the good news of Jesus. It is the protection for our foundation. He is our foundation. It is our worship. I, I love our worship. I, I try to do this every Sunday now with my sermon, but I love to make that connection to our, our liturgy. Our worship will remind us here shortly when it says, Our Heavenly Father, for the thou of thy tender mercy didst give thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there by his one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. I never thought that I would do this. That I would be in the middle of a liturgical worship service as an Anglican and that I would quote Kanye West. (laughs) But Kanye West is a young believer. And it's obvious by the lyrics in his song that he's just been reading the Bible. He's not been shifted to one side or the other. He's just been reading the Bible. And he has a song called Use This Gospel. here's, Here's the first two lines of the chorus. Use this gospel for protection. It's a hard road to heaven. Uh, apparently, when he first started doing his Sunday services, he actually had <coughs> used this armor for protection. We, we know what he was reading. He was reading Ephesians 6. But he changed it to use this gospel for protection because I believe the gospel does protect us. It is the foundation on which we stand. Now, the next thing that St. Paul says is he says to take up the shield of faith. And it's clear in Ephesians that the enemy will be throwing fiery darts at us. That's not even a question. It's, 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 it's happening. It's going to happen. So we have to take up the shield of faith to protect us. Now, during Roman times, soldiers would use all different kinds of shields. So in your mind, you might actually be thinking of a shield in, in my mind at least, I think of the most famous shield of all, Captain America shield. That's what I think of, but it's it's just a circle about this big. Now, in Roman times, they most likely used a shield that was a little bit bigger. It was likely four feet tall, so about as tall as Callan, maybe a little bit taller. And it was about two and a half feet wide. So if I could just hold Callan up right here in front of me, it would be like a shield. And these shields were made out of a strong metal. But normally what would happen is on the front of that shield, they would cover it with leather. As we all know, leather is very tough, right? Uh, And so most likely what would happen is before certain wars, they would go and they would wet that leather. The reason they would wet that leather is because when the fiery darts came from their enemy, that fire would hit the wet leather and would be extinguished. Our faith is just like that large shield. It takes the brunt of the attacks from the enemy. It takes the darts. It takes the direct attacks, and it protects us completely and wholly. But, but it's not because we have some merit on our own or because we make our faith that strong or because we are smart or good-looking or, or can preach really loud. But it protects us because the subject of our faith, the person in whom we have faith, is that strong. 
When we trust God, believing what he tells us in his word, the enemy's most deadly attacks will always be futile. Now, the next thing we take is the helmet of salvation. Paul here is not talking to people who are not Christians already. He's talking to a church at Ephesus. He's talking to Christians. So when he says, put on the helmet of salvation, he's not saying, Deacon, you need to be saved. There's an assumption in his words, there's an assumption in what he's talking, that he's already talking to people who are saved, who do have salvation, that have been baptized. A soldier would never go into battle without a helmet. It was there to protect them from the general attack, but more specifically, it was there to protect them from the broadsword. And it would protect their noggin. I believe that this is something that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 when he talks about the helmet as being identified with the hope of full salvation. Maybe that's what he's talking about here. I believe there's a connection. You see, the enemy's going to attack, and it's not an if he's going to attack, but when he attacks. And it's the helmet of salvation that is there to protect you as it covers your head and reminds you that there is a reason to fight. It's the hope of salvation. Our salvation is not complete. We, we like to think about that sometimes. We like to pretend like it is. We got our, our yellow card punched. I always think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You get the little yellow ticket and you got to go to the chocolate factory. We all act like we got the yellow ticket or the gold ticket. And so we let down our guard. We live however we want because we got the gold ticket. We feel like we've arrived. There's nothing left to do. That we don't have to live holy. That we don't have to live into the works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. That's biblical. But that's not true. We are told very clearly we are to keep fighting. We're told to keep running the race. And so we keep working through that sanctification knowing that God is going to complete that in which he started. And it is the hope of our salvation. Now, the, the last thing that Paul tells us to do is that we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A two-edged sword. In Hebrews 4.12, the author of Hebrews says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you had a two-edged sword, the author of Hebrews says the word of God is sharper than that two-edged sword. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, everything we've talked to up at this point has been about protection. It's been about defense. You've got a helmet to protect you from hits. You've got the breastplate to protect you. You've got your belt to carry supplies. You've got shoes of the gospel. You've got the shield. Thank you, Peyton. Up to this point, we've been defensive. But now the tables have turned. Now, Paul says, and take up the sword of the Spirit. What we're talking about here, when, we talk, when we're talking about the Word of God, is the Word of God being applied in real life. We're not literally talking about taking a Bible in your hand and hitting people. We're talking about the Word of God being applied. We, we've seen this in action. When we go back and we look at Jesus has, has just come out of baptism. He goes into the 40 days of fasting, and he comes out of the fasting, and what happens? 
the devil comes and attacks him. And he shows him all these temptations. He says, here, Jesus, I will give you this. Here, Jesus, if you just say the word, you can have this. Here, Je-. And what is Jesus' response every single time? As it is written. He quotes scripture every single time. His way to fight back to the enemy was to quote scripture. It was to fight back with the word of God. Sometimes I wonder if we put enough emphasis on learning God's word. If we put enough emphasis on knowing it deep within our hearts and being able to draw on it whenever we need it and whenever times are hard. To remind us of his promises, his love, his grace, and his victory. Oh, that God's word would be our companion on this journey. So that when the enemy attacks, which he does, we can have God's word there ready to engage with his best attacks. When the depression comes, when the loneliness comes, when the guilt sets in, when the pain begins, when the financial hardships arrive, when the discouragement flattens us, that his word would give us a way to fight back. Now, the final thing that St. Paul says here is that what we have to do is to keep alert. Keep alert. He says in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Or keep watching out and never give up. Never lose faith. Never Never grow weary. Keep looking out. If you are in the middle of a war, you're going to have a different way of thinking. You're going to always be on alert. You're always going to be ready for whatever's coming. We're to stay on the lookout. We know the enemy's going to attack, so we should always be looking out for that. And we have to persevere. Persevere so that we might stand strong and stay firm. Or stand firm and stay strong. So how do we keep alert? How is it that we are to keep alert? What can we do? St. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. How do you keep alert? You pray, 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 pray. We, we, don't, we, don't, we can't keep alert the same way with an enemy that's not flesh and blood like we would flesh and blood. It's not like our enemy looks like Deacon Rick. If I know it's Deacon Rick, I could be looking out and I see Deacon Rick, I'm ready to fight. No, it's a different kind of war. So what kind of prayers? All of them. How often? All the time. For whom? Everyone. For what? Everything. You see, prayer is not some kind of secret weapon that we pull out and do some kind of magic trick with. Ta-da! Alakazam, alakazoo, God, this prayer is coming to you. that's, That's not what prayer is. It's the very means of communication with God. John Piper has this brilliant quote. He says, The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of a believer is that they turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Ouch. 
he has another quote, and I will completely mess it up here, but he, he says, when we get to the end of time, face, the, the main purpose of Facebook and Twitter will be to show us that it wasn't, our, prayer, our prayerlessness wasn't from the lack of time. We're not going to be able to go and say, like, Lord, I would have prayed more. I just didn't have time. He's going to pull up our Facebook feed or, or our Twitter feed or our, our Netflix queue, right, or our, uh, our whatever, right? We have to take up the mantle and urgency of prayer. We have to stand firm against the attacks and stand firm in prayer. The, the, uh, the Baptist missionary, Adoniram Judson, said this, Be resolute in prayer. Make any sacrifice to maintain it. Consider that time is short and that business and company must not be allowed to rob thee of thy God. I'm sure Judson would not mind if I just changed that a little bit. Consider that time is short and that Facebook and Twitter must not be allowed to rob thee of thy God. That YouTube and Netflix must not be allowed to rob thee of thy God. That your favorite buffet place must not be allowed to rob thee of thy God. Ouch. We have to realize that this is that this is war. And we have to stand firm, putting on the whole armor of God, and that we must keep alert at all times and in all places. Because as hard as things are, as difficult as things are, we are in the middle of a war. And the enemy is always, never ceasing, completely and continually trying to seek you out and destroy you. To take us down, to come at us. My favorite Baptist hymn when I first became a Christian was Victory in Jesus. And that's something we always must remember is that we have victory in Jesus. And we can, by putting on that whole armor of God, be prepared to not only defend, but by the power of the word of God, fight back victoriously. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Blue Ridge Anglican Mission. We are a parish of the Orthodox Anglican Church that is situated in the beautiful mountains of Hendersonville, North Carolina. If you want to learn more, check us out at blueridgemission.org. Now, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord.